Welcome back, everyone. I'm your host, Dr. Beth Trammell, licensed psychologist and an associate professor of psychology at Indiana University East, where I'm also the master's in mental health counseling director. Uh, I uh, believe in the power of words. I believe in the power of uh, helping other people know how to make their words matter for good. And that's uh, going to be part of what we talk about uh, today. But but really, um, I have invited uh, my guest back from the first season. She joined on uh, the first season to share. Um, and I'm, I'm excited that you're back again, Nicole, because I think this idea of, quote, kind of right-sizing your life, like finding the balance between uh, doing too much, which never works. I mean, that's the boat I'm always in. Um, and, and, you know, just ask my spouse. He's like, just sit down somewhere. Anyway, this isn't about me. Um, so finding the balance between doing too much and um, never doing enough or feeling like we're never doing enough. So I, I just need, I'll pay you after this, I guess. You know, like this may just be my own form of therapy. I don't know. As I'm doing this introduction, I'm like, oh boy, this is probably going to be... Ooh, this may be therapeutic. Okay, so, so um, Nicole McNellis is back. Um, Nicole, can you uh, kind of introduce yourself to folks again, just in case they missed the first episode, and tell us something fun that's going on for you? Absolutely. So my name is Nicole McNellis. Thanks so much for having me back, Beth. I'm so excited to to dive into this topic. Um, as you mentioned, it is something that comes up for us professionally as therapists, and it definitely comes up personally. And I think that it's that it's important to, to go there as therapists, right? We have things that we deal with too. And a lot of the time our clients are dealing with the same things and it's, it's important to, to address those things. So this was something that was coming up so often in session. And I noticed it was coming up a lot for me too in my personal life. So I thought that this would be a really great topic to dive into. And I really wanted to look at, you know, giving my clients some really, um, some really kind of actionable items to walk away from session with in terms of working on this. Um, and a little bit more about me. So I am a licensed professional counselor in the state of Pennsylvania. I have my own private practice and I specialize in maternal mental health. Um, and I'm a mom to two very, very energetic boys and nobody ever wonders where they got that from. <laughs> so, um, and something kind of fun about me, I was just at... Um, a meeting recently, uh, meeting uh, with some other moms and talking and the way that I introduced myself. So I think a lot of times when you introduce yourself as a therapist, there's this idea that you're like super chill and very zen. So now I introduce myself as the therapist with no chill because I think that that <laughs> describes me very well. And I've decided that I'm going to own that. So, um, you know, in my sessions, just like now, I have lots of energy. I'm not particularly chill. And that's what works for my clients. And it's what works for me. And we're just going to go with it. So. You know what? I mean, isn't it? It's such a learning process to like accept and just own those things. You know, mm -hmm. I think it's really cute to have a meme out there on social media that's like, be your best you and, and own who you are or whatever this blah, blah, blah is. But that's really hard to do, you know, yeah. especially when maybe messages you've gotten haven't been necessarily positive about some of the parts of you that you're like, I'm just going to be me. And so good for you. Thank you. Good yeah, for no, you. What, what you're talking about is this idea, right? And it's kind of a buzzword now, this idea of like showing up authentically. Mm. And, you know, we can, you know, kind of cringe 
you know, when we start to hear things over and over again, they feel like they lose their meaning, right? And, but if we really look at the kind of the essence of that, this idea of showing up authentically, I think, especially in therapy as therapists, that can be really, really meaningful. And I talk to clients about this too, this idea that, especially for women as clients in a healthcare space, I talk a lot uh, to my clients about this idea of you get to just show up in this therapy space. There's no pretense here. Your concerns will not be dismissed. You're going to get validated. We're going to get really curious about what it is that you're feeling, but I will never tell you that what you are feeling does not exist or isn't a concern or isn't valid. And that is so freeing for so many of my Mm -hmm. clients. So not, and so I model that in session, I show up authentically and then that allows my clients to do the same. And it really is quite freeing. You know, I always joke when I was in graduate school, you probably remember this when they used to make us, you know, do the videos and then they would pull the professors and your classmates would, you know, kind of pull the videos apart and tell you everything that you were doing wrong in these like make-believe sessions. And one of the, one of the critiques that I always got throughout graduate school was that I talked with my hands too much. And in my head, I remember a grade school teacher telling me that if I sat on my hands, words probably would not come out of my mouth. Like that's how (laughs) intricately connected these two things were for me. And, you know, that really, it's, it really hit me, you know, Mm. constantly getting this feedback in graduate school. And then when I graduated and I started working in schools and then, you know, started working my own private practice, I'm like, clients getting like, this is who I am. Like literally words would not come out of my mouth if I was sitting on my hands. And like, I can't, this is how I communicate. And it's not distracting. It's part of who I am and my mode of communication. And, you know, for the most part, clients get a kick out of it. And, you know, it's, it's only a problem when I like knock over my water, right? <laughs> so, which, does, which does happen. So, you know, owning that has allowed me to be, you know, freer in session and, you know, just show up authentically in lots of parts of my life. So, you know, when something isn't inherently problematic, you know, it's, like, it's okay. You get to show up with that right? It's not hurting anybody else. (laughs) It's just how I talk and communicate. You know, it's interesting. I'm not sure if this is where you were planning to take this discussion today, but I think in, in even just having somebody hear this title of like, not, not trying to overdo it and feeling like you're just never enough, like finding there the middle ground. I think this is so relevant, right? Where you're like, what you're saying that most of your life, people were like, stop doing too much. And when you try to do that, it's like, I don't feel like I'm doing enough. There's some real, there's some real connection there to say, hey, you know what? All these messages don't have to have, they don't have to be true for me. And I, I can choose. I get to choose. Right. Yep. And I don't know if that's part yeah. of what we're going to talk about today, but that feels like a pretty darn good example of yeah. kind of no, where we're headed. Yep, that's that's exactly right. It's all it's all connected, right? So there's this idea for me of of right sizing your life. I think especially as parents, but kind of just as humans living in a culture that is very much about more, 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 more consumption, right? It's just and more, just more everything, right? I mean, when I say that, I can almost physically feel the pressure of that moreness, mm. if you will, right? Yeah. And so I noticed, you know, I was really thinking about it. And I noticed that something that has been coming up, especially now as we're 
moving to whatever this new phase of the pandemic is, where we're all trying to figure out kind of what is our new normal. Something that I kept hearing over and over again from my clients was, I feel like I am doing too much. Like I'm just, I'm exhausted all the time. I'm burnt out. I just feel like I can't stop. There's always more for me to do. And I'm always pushing, pushing, pushing in every area of my life. And yet it also feels like not enough Mm. at the same time. Mm -hmm. How is that possible? How can I be doing so much and feeling like I never rest and I never stop, but also feel like this isn't getting me anywhere. This isn't enough, right? And when we really sat with that, what really came up for a lot of my clients was was really underneath that was two things. One was this idea of overwhelm, right? There's just Mm -hmm. so much coming at us all the time that we're trying to make sense of and where we're trying to figure out what is the right thing to do here? What is the right way to be a working parent? What is the right way to volunteer at my kid's school? What is the right number of hours I need to work out a week? What, what is the, the right way you know, to have my house set up, right? All of these things. Are, so we're getting all these messages that there's all these right way to do things. And we're trying to figure out what that is. And then we end up with this like compare and despair, right? Mm-hmm. Which is so easy to do now with so the prevalence of social media, And with just the constant messaging that we get in all of these different areas of our lives, right? So it's really what I found that it's about, it's not about the right way Mm. to do something. It's about what is the right fit for you in this current moment? And then what does that mean, right? Does that mean that we then have to kind of push back on this pressure? Does that like, what does that, what does that mean? And I think, and that's kind of the conclusion that I've come to, but really it was showing up as this idea of, yeah, how do I feel like I'm doing so much and yet not enough? Mm. Like, And that is like, what a, and that feels, that's a real powerless feeling, right? It feels like, it feels like a real stuck place. And that's how I was seeing it showing up. And that was what I wanted to help clients work through. And then of course I noticed like, oh, this happens to be something <laughs> that is showing up a whole lot in my life right now too. So isn't that the um the beauty <laughs> the beauty of being a therapist is that you realize how um like you realize some things that are going on for you when certain clients bring up things that you're like, "Oh, wow, that that just kind of like hit me right in the gut." And that's not about you, that's about me and uh this issue is clearly important for me too. Um, I, I love your description here and all those examples of like the, the quote right way. And I couldn't agree more that it is what causes us a lot of distress when we don't even realize it. Um, we don't realize that our brain sees images or we hear, uh, we hear things from, from people that we care about that then we interpret as the right way, maybe, maybe not even consciously, we may not even say out loud, well, that's the right way to do it. We just hear these messages that then when you assign the right way, that also means there's a wrong way. And that's the real trick, right? That's the hardest part, I think, is once we start assigning things as the right way, then we inherently start seeing wrong things. And, and if you're like some people, there's only one right way. And that's really dangerous. That's really detrimental. 
to our overall health. Yep, absolutely. And the so the word that came to mind for me was binary, right? And mm. there's a reason that our brains frequently push us to what feel like you know, binary conclusions or, you know, binary questions or, right. It's because when we're trying to make decisions, it's much easier to make decisions based on a binary, right. And if we are feeling decision fatigue, which is clearly part of what we're talking about, right. Where it feels like I've got to think about all of these things all the time, make a million decisions a day. If it were just this or that, that's a whole lot easier than, well, this is on the one end of the spectrum, this is on the other end of the spectrum, and then there's all this gray area in between that I can also think about, right? It's so much easier to just say, this is right, this is wrong, this is what I need to be moving towards, rather than maybe there's some place in between these two that work for me. And so something that comes up a lot in the work that I do is parents wanting to kind of break generational patterns and they want to be more gentle parents, which is wonderful, right? But then they also feel this extreme pressure. Well, I didn't do this gentle parenting thing and I didn't do this. Does that not make me a gentle parent? Does that Mm. make me a bad? And it's like, no, you know yourself best as a parent. You know your child best as a parent. Those are guidelines, right? You're already doing so much work and just wanting to break these generational patterns and these generational cycles, right? So you're already ahead of the game. And now you get to figure out how do these principles of gentle parenting or how do these ideas and strategies around gentle parenting, how do they actually fit Mm. into my life? Because I think for many of us, I know for me, before I became a parent, I had lots of ideas of what parenting was going to look like for me. And then I realized that when my children were born, that they came out as fully formed humans with their own personalities. And you that I it? had, right, I know, like the nerve. And I had to, and so I have two children and they are so unbelievably different. And I realized that I had to adjust my parenting and my ideas of parenting to work for both of them. The mm-hmm. way we parent them still to this day is different because they need different things. And that's good parenting when you're responding to your child, when you're honoring what you need as a parent, right? And so that is where this idea of like moving from what is right or there's only one right answer to what is a good fit for me? What's a good fit for my family? What's a good fit for my child? Does it have to be this kind of all or nothing? But coming to it from this place of understanding where it's like, oh, my brain wants it to be all or nothing. Because then it's easier for me to make a decision. So maybe I actually need to slow down a little bit and make room for all of this nuance, make room for this gray area. And it takes time and effort to do that. And many of us are moving at a pace where that can be really difficult to do. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I love this idea of kind of the best fit um, for me right now. And that might not be what it is tomorrow or next week. And I think it's tough because you're right. We we want to think in easy solutions. This binary is so much easier. It's like right or wrong, yes or no, this or that is so much easier. And especially when we are still in sort of this place of, you know, I wrote down what you said, you know, decision fatigue. I experienced decision fatigue on a daily, mm-hmm. you know, where we're at like <laughs> the tail end of summer. We'll just kind of be honest about where we're at right now. We're at the tail end of summer. My four kids have been home 
all summer with me. And, you know, I work at a university where um, I'm not necessarily doing as much of the day in and day out work, um, going to the office every day in the summer sort of thing. And so when I, when I'm in this place of just overall fatigue, whether it's from decision fatigue, it's just physical fatigue, it's emotional fatigue, I've got stuff going on, whatever it might be, right? When you're already in that space, it's harder to have room for the nuance. It's almost like I'm seeking that binary even, even more. And then I'm, I'm like more agitated right? when I have right. to make room for the nuance. Like that just yep. like straight pisses me off, Nicole. I mean, that's just like, who has time for that? That's exactly right. right. And so that is why I kind of worked out kind of going back to my, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy roots. And I really had to think about how can I turn this into a, a process? How can I give clients something to walk away from session with when they're feeling this way? Because it right, it right, it feels like I'm just adding more to their life. And I don't want to do that at a That's time more. where things feel overwhelming, right? Yeah. What yeah. we want to do is we kind of want to drill it down into something that feels manageable. So there's a, a three-step process that I teach clients to kind of manage when they're feeling this way. And so I made up an acronym for it because I feel like that makes it easier to remember too. Um, and the acronym is ACA. So I'll walk you through kind of what that stands for. And then we'll walk through each of the steps. So it's acknowledge, get curious, and take action. So the acknowledgement piece is what you and I have been doing. Yep. What is the true reality of my current situation? I need to be, in order to move towards a solution, I have to fully acknowledge where I'm currently at, right? Like you just said, I am already exhausted and one more decision is I just can't, I just can't even go there, right? That's true acknowledgement of your reality at the moment. That's the first step. The second step is getting curious. And as a therapist, I must admit, I love this step. And because getting curious is where you talk to yourself the way a therapist would talk to you, right? You remove the judgment and in its place, you put in curiosity. So instead of saying, I'm so exhausted and overwhelmed, this is terrible, I'm terrible, I'm a bad parent, I can't hack it, that's all judgment, right? Yeah. That's not the place where we want to come from. Where we want to come from is we want to ask ourselves, where's this pressure coming from? What is it trying to tell me? Is this internal? Is this external? Is it some kind of combination of the two? That's the getting curious piece. You want to ask yourself, what is going on here? And where do I think that this is coming from? Right. And you want to remove judgment and replace it with curiosity, which is really valuable. And then that curiosity allows us to move to the last step, which is take action. So this is where we fold in a strategy on top of this, you know, strategy that we're already using, which is the, you know, this little ACA process. So taking action is where you start to look at what are some strategies that I can put in here to help me feel better. So for example, we can do some thought challenging. So thought challenging would be like where you ask yourself, what is actually the right fit for my life in this current moment, right? I'm going to push back. I'm going to challenge this idea that I'm just bad at everything, Mm. right? And I can't do the right thing. I'm going to challenge that with this question of, I'm going to replace it with what is the right fit? right now, right? I'm going to challenge these thoughts that I am bad and look at it as 
what would actually make sense for me right now? What is a solution that that would serve me best, right? Another action that you can take is being really intentional. I think when we're moving so quickly and we're feeling all of this pressure constantly to really take a moment and just a beat, right? We're not even talking about like 10 minutes, just taking a beat and thinking about how do I intentionally want to move forward here can be really, really valuable. Is this something I need to say no to? Is this something where I need to look at the spectrum of options, right? Being really intentional with our time and our effort, especially when we're feeling like we don't have any time or effort left is actually really empowering, right? Because when we feel really frazzled, that's a really powerless feeling, right? It feels like things are just swirling around us and we want to take a little bit of that control back. Okay. So I love this, right? I love curiosity. I love the word curiosity. I do a lot of work with with parents and kids, especially, and I love curiosity instead of other feeling words that we might impose on people. So let's imagine uh, there's a person who might be listening who says, I, I can't do that because I get so anxious when I start to think about what my current situation is. I get so overwhelmed that I just want to shut down when I start to, um, like, I I can't do the non-judgment thing. I've had so many judgmental messages that that maybe I'm realizing that all I ever kind of hit myself with is judgment. What other things do you often tell folks when they kind of have emotional uh, obstacles, right? Those emotions come up as obstacles for them in any part of this process. I tell them to sit with it. So if that judgment is just coming at you like a freight train, let it come, right? Because that in and of itself is telling you something, right? So if that judgment feels like it's an automatic thought, it feels like there there is nothing before this, it just kind of shows up and this is how I automatically respond to things in my life, allow that judgment to show up. And then where you move towards is you want to change how you respond to that judgment. So that judgment showing up automatically is not a problem, right? We are naturally judgmental because that is how we make decisions. That's kind of how we were designed, right? So when that judgment comes up, sit with it for just a moment. And then when you're ready, move towards challenging it, move towards gently bringing in some curiosity, right? Like you and I both do this for a living where we teach people how to be curious. I still have those judgmental thoughts that come up frequently uh, in many areas of my life, right? So the, the key is to let the judgment come, but then to respond to it differently. We don't have to stop the judgment in its tracks. We can actually learn from the judgment sometimes if it feels like it's kind of fast and furious. It is um, something that I think is a lifelong thing, but I love that you are like, it's okay if it comes, right? You're almost giving it permission to, right. to have it come. Right. Yeah. It's, it's totally okay. It's okay to sit with even the feelings that are that are difficult because that tells you kind of then where you're at and it tells you where you can then go from here. And if those feelings of judgment are kind of coming fast and furious, you know, what you may need then is some time to rest, some time to decompress. And I know that that, believe me, I get it. I know that that is hard from somebody who moves at a thousand miles an hour. Most of the time, I completely understand that. And for me, reframing rest as productive 
has been really important. And rest doesn't have to be 10 hours of sleep a night. Mm-hmm. Rest can be, I am taking a moment here. I'm taking a beat just to take a breath and figure out where I want to move next. Or I got this text that feels really triggering for me and really provoking. And I want to respond to it right away and kind of, you know, get rid of this. That's not, I'm not going to respond in a way that I'm going to be happy with after. So I'm just going to take a beat. I'm going to take a breath and then I'm going to figure out how to move forward. That can be really, really valuable. So let's say they've tried this three-step process. Let's say they have gotten through step one for a particular thing or a particular day or whatever. um, And then they get stuck on, step two or whatever, that it doesn't mean that you're bad at this, right? I mean, I think it kind of comes back to what we were talking about earlier, that it's not good or bad, right or wrong. You know, finding this this balance, it may mean that you've got to take a break. It may mean that you've got to find rest, may mean that it's okay to push pause on, on kind of working through this issue until maybe you find a therapist or you find a trusted friend or whatever. But it doesn't mean that this is right or wrong or that you're good or bad at it. I think it's an important thing to remind folks because we just so easily slip into that. Right. This is a process. This is not an endpoint. This is a tool for working through some feelings that are challenging. And what I frequently tell clients is even if you can, ju- if you're in a place where you only do the acknowledgement piece one day, that's good enough, right? Just acknowledging that this is the place that you're in and this is the place that you're starting from can give us some relief, right? Can really make us feel like, okay, at least I have somewhere to start from now. That is that is enough some days and that's okay. So this is just a framework. It's just a tool. It's not a right or wrong thing. Yeah. And it's also all of this that we're talking about as a process. It's not some endpoint that we're trying to get to. Like when I'm evaluating what is right for me in a certain area of my life right now, that it is very different right now than it was 10 years ago. It's very yeah. different right now than it was a week ago or even yesterday, yeah. right? Yeah. And so this is a framework for reevaluating and kind of empowering yourself to make decisions about your life that feel good for you and that feel like they're a right fit for you. And kind of one of the the examples that came to mind for me was actually from my time when I was a school counselor. So I worked with, with high school students and I worked a lot with graduating seniors and their families. And something that would come up all of the time when they were looking at post-secondary plans was, is if they were looking at college in particular, was, is this a good school? Is this a good college? And I, the question I would always ask is, for for who, right? As long as as long as they have like some baseline accreditations, then we get to look at some other things, right? And so every school is a good school as long as it's a fit for you, right? You could go to what is you know they have all these rankings and all these things, right? So you could go to the school that's ranked number one in a, the whole bunch of different areas, and your kid could go there and they could hate it. And why would they hate it? Because it's not a good fit for them. So when we looked at fitness for post-secondary education, we looked at a number of different areas. So some of the areas that we looked at was, you know, what are the academics like? What is the social life like? What is the financial situation? Where is it located? How big is the campus? How small is it? Right. All of these different things, right? 
because that led us to a much more accurate picture of what is going to be a good fit for me as a student, what is going to be a good fit for my family on the whole. That was a much better question to ask, but it was also a much more nuanced and complicated question that took a lot more time to answer. But in the end, if you're going to spend two to four to however many years somewhere, it was worth it to take the time to figure out, based on what I know now, do I think this institution is going to be a good fit for me? Not where does it rank and on all of these arbitrary, you know, things and, and all of that, right? And so for me, that was a really clear example that came to mind, right? It's not about what is right or what is good, right? What is a good school? It's about what is the right fit for me? Mm. Where do I think that I will want to be for the next however many years based on a number of different factors and facets? So, okay, is it, I'm thinking of another example, right? Because I think about maybe parents or couples or, or people who, uh, you know, maybe cohabitate, I don't know, where that which is best for me may not necessarily be best for my partner or my roommate or my friend or whatever. So as I think about this, you know, acknowledge, get curious, take action framework, I wonder if it also sort of generalizes to when two people maybe have a different idea uh, about what right-sizing, what right-sizing our life together looks like, right? Could we, could we apply this as parents? Could we apply this as couples? Could we apply this as roommates, right? How can we do that? Yeah, so I like to think so. <laughs> um, and I think what this process allows for is it allows for collaboration and compromise. And right, so sometimes when, especially when you are, you know, part of a family, you know, for me right now, would I like to go on a solo vacation for a week? Probably, or like with my girlfriends, right? That sounds amazing. Shut everything down right. and just go away. For me, that would be right, right? I, yeah. could, I could make it work on a number of different levels. But from, like you said, it's summertime. The kids are, my kids are on a different schedule every week with camp and whatnot. Um, my, you know, my husband's, um, his work schedule was actually really demanding in the summertime. So even though that would probably be a really nice option for me, it would not work well for our family, right? So we have compromised. So there was, um, there was a week in the summertime where um, my husband and my kids love baseball. Me, not so much. And so he took them on a little baseball trip where they went away for a couple of days. They went to see some games. They stayed overnight. And what did I do? That was my time for me to have all my friends over to my house and just have girls nights, right? And to stay out late on the deck and not worry about waking anybody up and to have that kind of decompression and community time that I would have been looking for in like going away, so to speak. So we compromised and we said, hey, he wanted some one-on-one -on -one time with our kids because I get a lot of that over the summer that he doesn't because my schedule is a lot more flexible. So he wanted that. He wanted to do an activity that they really enjoyed. It's an activity that I didn't enjoy. So I decided to sit out, but then I got to stay home and do the things <laughs> that I wanted to do with my friends. So that was kind of the nice compromise that we came to, right? And this process allows for that, right? Because we start with, what is it that the acknowledgement, what is it that we're working with, right? Kind of where is this coming from? What do we both need? 
what do the kids need? And then how do we move forward from there, right? Because this process isn't about getting to a perfect solution. It's about getting to what is going to work right now in our situation. And so that, that's kind of a, a silly and fun example. But honestly, I've realized, you know, as we've been moving through different phases of this pandemic, that something I've needed more of in my life as I've thought about right-sizing my life is fun. I've missed having fun. Haven't you missed having fun, Beth? I've missed having fun. Fun. I've missed my friends. I've missed going out to concerts. I have missed those things so desperately. So in order to pull some of that back into my life, I've realized this is the first summer ever since opening my practice that I've taken two whole weeks off. I've never done that before. I used to only take one week and be like, that's enough. I can't do more than that. It's not going to work for anybody. And of course, my clients are like, they're like, good for good for your modeling for us that we should be taking more time off that we should be going, you know, on more vacation if you can't right? staycation, whatever, like just kind of decompression time. And so that was a big lesson for me. If I want to add something to my life, maybe there's some areas where I need to scale back. And that's okay that it's this idea that it can't always be more, 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 more. Where do I find this balance? But it's not a perfect balance. It's always a moving target. And that's okay. And so that's kind of the place that that I've come to with this. And this is what you know, really, I feel like for months now, it has really been at the forefront of my work with clients. So as we are kind of wrapping up here, what is maybe one or two kind of practical things that you often uh, remind clients or people about when we're trying to stay out of that um, slippery slope of searching for the right way, right? Like what is the practical thing? Because, you know, we we talk about this with people and then you know, next week they'll come in or whatever. And they're like, well, you know, I kind of struggled and because I, I did this or I did that. What are the things that you've seen or, or maybe suggested to folks that can help people fall to protect them from falling victim to seeing this right way, wrong way, yes, no, sort of binary way? So the first thing is just to acknowledge that this is really hard, oh, right? That's because good. kind of, all of the external forces and then the external forces become things that we internalize are all telling us at all of the, all of the time, more, 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 you need to be doing more. You are not doing enough. You're not good enough at this. Right. So recognizing that that pressure is really, really relentless. So it is okay to feel the weight of that pressure, right? What is important is giving yourself the space to gently push back. So like we've talked about, this is not something that happens overnight. This is a process. This is something that I struggle with all of the time in, in many areas of my life, right? Because I'm, I'm somebody who wants to do more and be more and give more. And then I recognize like, wait a second, if I'm doing it all, then, then what am I really, am I, then am I doing anything well? right? Am I really, and then also how am I just completely drained all of the time? You know, what is left for me and what is left for my family? And so what is left for, for fun, right? There's not, you know, so it is important to recognize that these pressures are relentless and they're constant. And what we're talking about, what you and I are talking about today is gently 
gently pushing back on those pressures. And so when you feel that pressure creeping up or you feel the overwhelming weight of it, you want to consistent, always, I like starting with a question, asking yourself, moving from this idea of what is right to, is this a good fit? Mm-hmm. So just start with that. If everything else feels like too much, start with this idea of this is hard. So I'm going to start with this question. Is this a good fit? It's so good. How can people um, find you or know more about the work you do? I can be found. Um, I can be reached through my website, which is NicoleMcNellis.com. Um, on Facebook, I am at Nicole McNellis Therapy. And on Instagram, I'm at the Therapist Mom Collective. So those are all the places um, where I can be found. It's awesome. I am so thankful that you said yes. I'm thankful that you are game for the next episode. Yes. Um, because <laughs> I I just think people find it so um just so refreshing that you can hear a, an episode on a podcast and like walk away with something practical um, that that you can kind of think about. And if you're a person listening that um, maybe you struggle with even something along this framework and you have a therapist, bring it to your therapist and say, I want to walk through maybe this process. What do you think about that? Um, I think, uh, I don't want to speak for all therapists, but um, the therapists that I've talked to on this uh, on this podcast and the people that I know who are therapists are, are open. If you want to suggest something that you think is going to be good for your treatment, suggest it. Anyway, thanks for saying yes. Thanks for being here. Yeah, absolutely. You. Thanks for having me. It's always a really good conversation. It's always good. Thanks for listening. And uh, until our next episode... I hope everybody stays safe and uh, stay well.